Come on, give it up. Give it up for a good, good God. Hallelujah. He's been better to us than we could ever be to Him. Amen. Amen. Well, my cuz gave me a, a little funny to share with you. There was this uh, boy just turned, getting 16. He wanted a car. And he said, Dad, I really want a car. I'm getting my license, and, and that would help me drive. I want a cool car. I can drive to school. And the dad said, well, uh, there's some things we need to work on to see if you're responsible enough for that. He said, I tell you what, I have worst, I've noticed your grades are down. I need six weeks to look to see if you get your grades up. That'll be one thing. Secondly, I want you to start doing your chores without your mom having to ride your back because that's a sign of responsibility. You just get those chores done. And then third, I need you to start reading your Bible, son. Man, the Bible says that we hide the Word of God in our heart and we won't sin against the Lord. I need to see that you're reading your Bible at least uh, 15 minutes a day. And then uh, if you do all that, uh, and then I, probably, yes, let me add this one to it as well. You know that hair you got? We got to get that cut, okay? <laughs> got to get trimmed up. But Dad, that's so cool now. No, we got to take care of the hair. And then look, we'll check back in six weeks. Everything's done. You show responsible. I'll get you a car. Six weeks passes by. It's time for checkup. He says, let me see your report card. Wow, all A's except one B. You've done tremendous. I'm so proud of you, son. And then he talks to the mom. How's the boy been doing? Oh, he's been doing all of his chores. I don't even have to remind him. Son, you're showing responsibility. That's really great. So I appreciate that. Let me look at your Bible out and let's see how, many, how you've been reading. Wow, I see you've been reading it more than 15 minutes a day. Son, you're really doing good. I'm looking uh, to bank account right now. We're going to have to get the good car, a real nice car for you. Now we just got to go get your hair cut. The boy said, well, Dad, there's just, wait a minute, there's a little hiccup here. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, I, you told me to read the Bible, and I've been reading it for wisdom and experience and guidance and instruction. And you know, I see Moses had long hair, Dad. And, you know, there was Samson had long hair, Dad. I think Joshua had long hair. I even get in the New Testament, Dad, and Jesus had long hair. And he says, son, you are so perceptive. You really hit the nail on the head. You got that. That is so true. One point you missed, though. He said, what's that? He said, they walked everywhere they went. Thanks, Ernie. <laughs> oh, wow. We're going to be looking this morning. I had to get you smiling because we're going to deal with a serious subject, okay? So I want you to love me before and after. I hope after as well. We're going to look this morning at the power of, power of surrender. The power of surrender. This is a necessity, a necessity in all of our lives. If we're going to experience all that God has for us, we have to learn to surrender. We're going to begin in Joshua chapter 5, uh, beginning at verse 13. We pick up in the scripture and it says, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and he looked and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, No. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I am now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. 
Father, I pray as we study your word this morning that there would be a supernatural move of your spirit. Lord God, that would bring an illuminating factor in our lives that we would have our eyes open to see what you are saying to us today. And not only to see it, but to apply it into our lives that we can walk out of here walking on the Word, walking in the Word, and walking through the Word, and letting the Word manifest your will in heaven on earth in and through our life. God, I pray supernatural week for each and every person as we now draw on the supernatural Word, the bread of life that comes from you. And we pray that you would do a miracle in us and through us, for it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. I want to ask you two questions this morning. And the first question I want to ask you is, whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? Joshua had become the leader of the nation of Israel. Moses has died. Joshua has led them through the the Jordan River. They've come into the promised land, and there is Jericho all fortified. He's the captain of the army. He's advancing them into the promised land. This is a land, the Bible says, full of giants. And there is that first city of Jericho. You remember the story that God tells him that he is uh, to march around it six times, one time a day for six days, and then on the seventh day, seventh times, and then they're to do that in silence, but on that last time, they are to let the praises ring forth and shout out and play uh, and blow the ram's horn, and God supernaturally gave them that city. If you remember, they went in to that city, and God said, now this is the first fruit. This is that first fruit city. I don't want you to take any of the spoil for yourself. I want to see that you have chosen my side, you've surrendered to me, and I want you to give all of the first fruit unto me. So they went in, and if you remember, they took the, the gold and the silver and all of the, of the riches there and dedicated unto the Lord. And then they had another battle come up, Ai, And Joshua said, ah, those people are so small. He just sent a small fraction of our army. We don't, we let the rest of them rest up because this is so minuscule compared to, to these other cities. So they went in and then they came back defeated, running in fear from Ai. And Joshua couldn't believe it that they were able to take on Jericho supernaturally. But here, this little tiny uh, place, they, they lost the battle. So he goes to the Lord and he said, what is wrong here? What happened? How is this so? And God said, they're sent in the camp. If you remember that story where Achan and his family had taken just some of the gold and hid it in their camp. See, the first fruit belongs to God. This is all about whether you trust him or not. And he wants to know, are you truly on my side? If you're going to do it my way, then the, the tithe is mine. That first fruit is mine. And all of it is mine. He says, I'm, this isn't a negotiation. I want to see whether you trust me in every area of your life. And for some reason or another, God brings the finances in uh, to that uh, picture when it comes to dealing with all of our life. Maybe it's because money touches all of our life. I don't know, but that's what God chose. And uh, so if you will surrender and do it my way, he says, then there, oh, I'll open the heavens and I will do miracles for you. But if you don't do it my way, then let's see how good you can do it in your own strength. So he told Joshua, this is not good. So here's Joshua now scoping out Jericho. He's trying to, to get all of this, uh, 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 you might would say, uh, recognizance done and trying to get his uh, intel all right. And he comes up on this man that has a sword in his hand, not in his sheath, but in his hand. And he asks this very important question. He says, whose side are you on? Now, most theologians believe that this is a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus. 
for, for several reasons. One, that, and that's why you'll find most translations translated referring to him, his and him in the capital, uh, capitalized because they believe it to be a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus. But all the other angels throughout the Bible or even in heaven, when somebody bowed down to them to worship them, they immediately stopped them and said, no, 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 get up, get up. Don't worship me. You only worship God. But here, Joshua bowed down and worshiped him and he didn't stop him. So that's why this is believed that we're seeing a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus here. But nonetheless, what we do see is a man standing there, a dude with a sword in his hand, and that'll get anybody's attention. So, so Joshua asked him and he said, are you for us are you for, or are you for our adversaries? And he answered him and said, no. <laughs> Isn't that kind of a, a, an odd answer? Uh, he was saying to Joshua, you're asking the wrong question. Uh, you're asking whose side are you on, and I'm asking you whose side are you on. You're asking me whose side am I on, but I'm asking you whose side are you on. And I believe that's what the Lord is asking us today. It's not whose side that, that, uh, that you want somebody on your side or they're against you or for you. The main question is, are we on the Lord's side? Are we on His side? See, Jesus doesn't take sides. And I know when we get in our debates, we love to have Jesus on our side. And we demonize our spouse, or we demonize our kids, or we demonize our employer, we de demonize our friend that we're in an argument with. If we can say, ah, you're wrong, so you're, the Lord's not with you, the Lord's with me, and we do that. But let me tell you what, the Lord is not uh, saying, I'm taking your side and I'm not taking your side. He doesn't want to take sides, He wants to take over. Did you hear that? The Lord is not here to take your side. He's here to take over. And if you want to win the battles in life, the Lord is saying, you better get on my side. You know, it's not me on your side. You need to be on my side. And there's only two sides. Jesus said you'll either serve the one and be devoted to one and hate the other or love the one and despise the other. You can only serve God and mammon. So he's telling us there's only God's side and there's only the devil's side. So whose side are you on? Question number one. And I like the answer that this pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus or angel or uh, whoever this is, I love what he says to Joshua. When Joshua said, are you on my side or are you on the enemy side? And he said, no. Because sometimes you're faced with two choices and the answer is no to both of them, right? Let me give you an, a practical example. Let's say you go to McDonald's and, and they are taught and trained to ask you when you order, uh, would you like fries or an apple pie with that? And the answer is no to both of those. Nobody's following me this morning. That was supposed to have some type of laughter. And, and you guys missed your coffee. And the, Pardon? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really getting on some sacred cows here. So the Lord asked, whose side are you on? And Joshua fell on his face and he began to worship him and he said, you know, what does the Lord, what does the Lord want of your servant? And Jesus said to him, take your shoes off. Wow. Here I am worshiping you, Lord. I recognize this is you. What do you want your servant to do? Take your shoes off. Wow. If you'll remember back many years before that with Moses, as Moses had come out of Egypt, he had tried to deliver the Israelites with his own strength and he'd killed an Egyptian and then he fled into the wilderness for 40 years. And for 40 years he's out there depending on the Lord to provide for his sheep that he's a shepherd, he's taken care of. And he, he just learned that if for water to come out here and food to come out here, I've got to trust the Lord. And then there came that day when there was a burning bush. 
Now, I couldn't find a burning bush uh, image, so I'm giving you some burning straw or burning hay, but it's to give you kind of the, the picture here. And uh, you remember uh, the burning bush, and it would not burn up, and it got Moses' attention, and Moses went there, and, and uh, God says, I'm calling you, Moses, to go and to, to speak and uh, to deliver the Israelites. And, but the first thing we got to settle here is got to take your shoes off. Remember he told Moses, take your shoes off for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Now, this has to mean something if God, not man, but God keeps coming up with this saying, when we come into his presence, he says, take your shoes off. What does this mean? Remember, the first question I asked you was, whose side are you on? Well, here's the second question I want to ask you. Have you taken your shoes off? Have you taken your shoes off? See, some people have decided to be on the Lord's side, but they've not taken their shoes off yet. They want all the benefit of serving God, all the benefit of living for God, but they've not taken their shoes off. Now, what in the world does it mean to take your shoes off? Well, I just want to say to you here this morning, if the Holy Spirit prompts you to take your shoes off physically, that's okay. I just pray that there's some odor eaters that have been there and you don't offend anybody near you, okay? So I'm just asking you to act of obedience. If the Holy Spirit prompts you to take your shoes off, feel comfortable, you can do that. Uh, if he doesn't prompt you to do it, that's fine as well. That's fine as well. But I want us to get an understanding of what it means to take your shoes off. And I believe one of the best places for us to get that understanding is in Ruth chapter 4. And here's the story. And I believe in this story it will help us understand maybe what God means when he wants us to not only choose to, his, to be on his side, but he wants us to take our shoes off. Here's the story. Naomi is married to this man, Elimelech, and they live in Bethlehem, Judah. Bethlehem means the house of bread or the house of the word of God, and Judah means praise. So they're living in the house of bread or the house where the word of God is in the midst of praise. But they come on hard times. How many of you know you can be in the midst of the word and you can be in the midst of praise and there's still a real devil out there and he can try to bring some hard times your way. Well, in the midst of their hard times, they decide to leave Bethlehem, Judah, the land of the bread or the land of the word and praise and, uh, because things are getting tough and they sold their land and they moved away. And they take their two sons with them. And while they go to this place called Moab, it's named after an incestuous son of Lot. It is a place known for its debauchery. It's known for its high living and its sinful living and very, very uh, a promiscuous lifestyle. But they go there because they hear you, the people are prospering in Moab. And when they get to Moab, they find out the devil's a liar, as he's always a liar. And the husband dies. And the two sons die. See, things die when we leave the word and we leave praise. I pray that this church will never be a dead church. I visited some dead churches and there was no word and there was no praise. But I pray that you will always embrace the word of God in this house and you will always come in here, enter into his courts with thanksgiving and into his gates of, or his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise that we will come in here not wanting a praise team to prime us up, but we'll prime our praise and worship team up because we are a people that know our God is worthy to be exalted and worthy to be praised. Hallelujah. So here, the things have died since they have left the word and they have left praise. And Naomi decides, you know what? 
Eliminate's dead, the sons are dead. I'm going back to Bethlehem, the house of the word, and Ju uh, Judah in praise. I'm going back. And Ruth, one of the daughter-in-law, says, I want to go with you, and your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. I don't want to leave you, Naomi. So Ruth goes back with Naomi, and they're both widowed. So as they get back to Israel, the Bible tells us that they are in need. They have no money. They have no means. So Ruth begins to go out and glean in the corners of the field of this very wealthy man named Boaz. For God had set it up in the law that when harvest time came, that they were not to harvest the corners of the field so that those that were in need could come and they could take of that overflow or that which was left. And if you remember, Boaz is watching <clears throat> the people that are gleaning and, he, and Ruth catches his eye. And he's like, whoa, now that's a beauty there. Man, she, and then he goes and tells his harvesters, he says, you see that one there? When you're harvesting in front of her, I want you to leave handfuls on purpose. I want you to leave some extra. I want to make it easy for her. You know, yeah, she's a looker. <clears throat> so as Boaz takes interest in Ruth, he eventually he wants to marry her. But there's a problem. Can you imagine two, two people falling in love and there being a problem? Well, there was a problem. The law of the day was that she had to marry the nearest available relative of her deceased husband. It was the law of the kinsman redeemer. And in Israel, the kinsman redeemer had, could fulfill one of these two roles or both of them. One, he might redeem a member of his family who had become a slave. That was God had set this up in the law of the kinsman redeemer. Or he might marry a close relative whose husband has died, delivering her from poverty and continuing the name and legacy of her dead husband. Because if you'll remember, all of this is looking to the coming of the Messiah. They knew there was a promise of a proto-evangelicum that there would be one that would be born of a woman and that she, he would come and he would be the Messiah. So everyone was wanting to have the opportunity to be used of God to maybe birth the Messiah. And in this pre-Jesus being born, the kinsman redeemer law would give even a young woman whose husband had maybe killed in an accident with the kinsman redeemer coming in so that, that his blood line could continue through her that maybe she's the one that the Messiah would be born through. So that's one of the reasons of the kinsman redeemer. But a kinsman redeemer had to qualify. First, he had to be related to those he redeemed by blood. Had to be a blood relationship. He had to uh, be free himself. He couldn't free someone from slavery if they were in slavery. And, and he also had to be able to pay the price of redemption. That she probably was going to have a debt. She was going to probably uh, be uh, indeed. And he was going to have to be able to pay whatever the debt, whatever the redemption fee would be, he had to have that ability. And then another one is he had to be willing to redeem. Uh, and have a heart to do this because number five, he had to be committed in covenant to provide for her protection and provision and nurture and love uh, the remainder of her life. It was a covenant commitment and these were the qualifications. Now when you look through these, look at here, had to be blood related, had to be free himself, had to be able to pay the price of redemption, had to be willing to redeem, had to be committed in covenant to provide love and protection and provision and nurture throughout the remainder of their life. 
You know what all of this was a shadow pointing to? It was pointing to, it was a type pointing to our kinsman redeemer who is Jesus Christ. Hallelujah! Because all of us were born indeed. All of us, the wages of sin, that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of our sin is death. We are in debt. We were born in debt. We were damned. Nothing we could do to save us. But this whole kinsman redeemer law was a type pointing to. It was pointing to one that would come who by blood. That's why he had to be born through a virgin. But he couldn't be born of the seed of man because sin passed through the seed of man. So he had to be born of a woman. But in that way, getting the blood. So he's blood related to us. And not only blood related to us, he had to be able to pay the price of redemption. And Jesus says, I'm willing to spill my blood and have my body whipped and beaten and crowned a thorn and speared and nailed. I'm willing to pay the price because I want to be committed in covenant with you so that I can provide for you protection. I can provide for you in provision. I can provide for you in love. And I can provide for you nurture for the remainder of your life. Come on, somebody thank Jesus for stepping in and being our kinsman redeemer. Hallelujah. So back to the story of Ruth. Here's this one man closer in blood to Ruth of uh, uh, Ruth's husband that was deceased than Boaz, and he had the right to marry uh, Ruth. Can you imagine? Here's Boaz. He's like, man, I've done left all my harvest on the corners for her. I've been flirting with her every way, which way but loose. I've been trying to get her eye. She's got my eye, and now there's this dude that has preference over me. So Boaz goes and he looks in the law of God to see, is there a way around this? And he finds there is. He had to call for the elders to come at the city gate and they had to call this nearest relative who had the right first to marry uh, Ruth and there he could challenge him and say, are you willing to give up your right? So Boaz asked the man, and he probably had his fingers crossed, and he probably prayed, maybe even fasted, and he says, do you want to marry Ruth? Say no, say no, say no, say no, say no. And the guy says, yes. She's a looker. <laughs> yes, I want to marry her. So Boaz says, mm, plan two, plan B. Okay, remember if you marry her, you got to pay off all her debt. And she's got a huge debt. You've got to buy back the land of her husband and you've got to pay that off as well. It's going to cost you a lot to marry her. And as Boaz keeps talking, the man says, huh, he starts backing out. Okay? He says, you know what? Maybe this is too costly. Now, now by the way, a side note here is still true today. Do you want to marry that girl? The young man says, yes. Great, great. Then you need to know there's a cost. <laughs> No woman is free. Had a young man ask me, Pastor, how much does it cost to have a wife? And I said, well, I can tell you exactly what it costs to have a wife. Everything. Everything. <laughs> but you know, that's for the ladies too. Okay? Because it's a covenant. And a covenant is 100% of what is mine is yours, and 100% of what is yours is mine. We're in covenant here. Right? Now back to Ruth. The guy passes up his place to marry Ruth and gives... Uh, 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 his uh, right over to Boaz. And here's where we pick up in the Bible, in Ruth chapter 4, verse 7. 
Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was a confirmation in Israel. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. I give up my right. You buy it for yourself. You pay her debt. I'm backing out of this deal. And he took off his sandal. Now, this was custom. But where did this custom come from? Well, before you criticize it, it came from God. And I'll show you in Deuteronomy 25 exactly where God gave it. In Deuteronomy 25, 7, God says, But if a man does not want to take his brother's wife and then let his brother's wife go to the gate to the elders, that's why Boaz called the elders to the gate, and say, My husband's brother refuses to raise up a name for his, to his brother in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him. But if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot and spit in his face. Hmm. And answer and say, you shall, so shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house, and his name shall be called in Israel the house of him who had his sandal removed. <laughs> Can you imagine? Not only does the sister-in-law get to spit in his face, but also makes him change his name to the house of him who has his sandal removed. Now what in the world does all of this mean? I mean, this just seems kind of silly. Lord, forgive me, but just kind of, wow, what does this mean? Well, the guy who qualifies as the kinsman redeemer has the right. Say that, has the right. He has the right to marry his brother's wife. But he gives up his right. He gives it up. And the sign that God came up with to confirm that you are giving up your right was to take your shoes off. Some places take your shoes, some places take your sandal off. And, uh, and that is exactly what happened here. When you give up your right, you take your shoes off. Now, I want you to see this. If you go back behind uh, to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, you see that when Moses asked, Lord, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? God tells him, the first thing I want you to do, Moses, is take your shoes off. Take your shoes off. God is saying, I want to be in charge of your life. Forty years ago, you were in Egypt and you tried to deliver the Israelites. You had the calling to deliver them, but you tried it in your own strength. And where did that get you? You murdered an Egyptian and now you've been on the backside of the wilderness for 40 years. But I think you're ready. But, in, but to know that you're ready, you've got to take your shoes off because it's got to be my way. I have to be in charge. That's the only way it's going to work. And I'm not sure if Moses understood fully at the point, but later God gives Moses the law, and this is written in about giving up your right. You signify it by taking your shoes off. So when it comes now uh, up to Mo Joshua, I'm sure Joshua had read this as Moses had talked about it, and now Joshua comes to this soldier, or Jesus, who has a sword drawn around Jericho, and he says, are you for us or against us? And he says, no. He said, no, no. He said, you got it all wrong. It's not about if I'm on your side. It's are you on my side? And if you're on my side, Joshua, take your shoes off. Take your shoes off. Give up your right for you to uh, go and advance in your strength and in your wisdom. And I need you to start following me, listening to me, and surrendering uh, to my charge. 
So this phrase, give up your right, is so very important in all of this because I've met a lot of people in counseling who say, Pastor, but I am right. And I say, while that may be true, I'm asking you to give up your right to be right. Do you see what I'm saying? You've got to give up your right to be right so that God can be in charge. As long as you are holding on and you're right and you're in charge, you are excluding God and His wisdom and His power out of your life. So I ask you this morning, who's in charge of your life? Who's in charge of your marriage? Who's in charge of your finances? Who's in charge of your friendships? Who's in charge of your decisions? Who's in charge of your future? Who's in charge? Have you given up your right to be in charge? Or or have you surrendered and waved the, the white flag and says, I surrender to you, Jesus. I take off my shoes. I surrender to you. It was important enough that Moses get his shoes off and surrender. It was important enough that Joshua get his shoes off and surrender. It was important enough that this kinsman redeemer give up his shoes and and wave the white flag and says, I give up my right. Lord, you're calling us to take off our shoes and to surrender to you today. And this is so very important. If you get into Romans chapter 9, 10, 10, 9 and 10, you will find where Paul is explaining to us how you get saved. And he says, if you will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that is not a verbal exercise alone. That Lord there that he says we must be willing to declare with our life is that Jesus is in charge. That I'm taking my shoes off. I'm giving up my right to be right and I'm surrendering to Him. I am, it's not that He's on my side. I am on His side. And He's either Lord over all or He's not Lord at all. It's not a shark tank negotiations where we say, God, I'll give you 25% equity in my life, but I'm going to take over the other 75%. It's not that. He is either 100% in charge or He's not in charge at all. Have you taken your shoes off? Whose side are you on? Have you waved the white flag and says, I surrender my business. I surrender my marriage. I surrender my health. I surrender my wealth. I surrender my relationship. It's not what I want. It's what you want. It's not what I think is smart. It's what you say, do God, even if it don't make sense, I surrender from being in charge. Hallelujah. You can go through your Bible as I have done and do a study on taking your shoes off. And there is such a fascinating discovery here. In me doing this, I I studied it and I saw as I got into the New Testament, I wanted to see if, you know, the Old Testament is the New Testament contained. And the New Testament is the Old Testament explained. So I like to, what I see in Old Testament principle, I want to see its explanation and its application in my, my, disp- in my time. Uh, my, 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 this is the church age. This is our dispensation. So I want to know, how does it apply? What does it mean? Well, I know it's got a great story, but I know it's there for a reason. So when I get into the New Testament and I'm studying Jesus, and when I come to Him, I come to the night of the Last Supper. Now, what is so very interesting here is on that night of the Last Supper, the very first thing Jesus did was what? He washed the disciples' feet. And in order for Him to wash their feet, what did they have to do? They had to take their shoes off. But when He came to Peter, 
Peter says, you're not going to wash my feet. I'm not taking my shoes off. And here in John 13 and 8, he says, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him and says, if I do not wash you. He didn't say wash your feet because this was a symbolism of surrender. He says, if I do not wash you, you have no part of me. And if you remember, Peter said, here, wash all of me, wash all of me. He still thought it was a physical thing, okay. See, Jesus did not say, I, I, I'm all about foot washing here. He says, I'm all about surrender here. If you are willing to take your shoes off, are you willing to surrender? Are you willing to give up your right? Like this uh, first in line kinsman redeemer for Ruth who loved her, lo- loved what she looked like, loved her and said, I'm going to marry her. But when it came down to, were you willing to give up your right? If you're willing to give up your right, take your shoes off. And I'm here to tell you today, there's so much of in our lives uh, where we still walk in our own shoes, if I could say it that way, where we still think we're smarter than God. And this has worked in the past, it'll work in the future. And we're limiting ourselves from experiencing the super on the natural. Here is God who created us, a supernatural God who wants heaven on earth, uh, who said, pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is His desire, it is His wish, it is what He wants. He wants to see heaven blowing up in a good way this earth and bringing light and bringing joy and bringing healing and bringing deliverance and bringing the supernatural. But he says in order for it to happen, Moses, take your shoes off. In order for it to happen, uh, uh, Joshua, take your shoes off. And Jesus says in order for it to happen, you've got to take your shoes off. Come on now. Here's Peter saying, Rabbi, it's not right for the rabbi to serve the students. It's, it's in the law. That's not right. It was like Peter was saying, Lord, I know what's right and wrong, and this ain't right. And Jesus says, I may be your rabbi, but right now, Peter, are you willing to give up your right to be right? Are you willing to give up your right to be right? Remember the two questions I asked you in the beginning. Whose side? Are you on? Whose side are you on? You only got a choice between one or the other. It's either God or it's the enemy of God. And the second question that I've asked you, have you taken your shoes off? Because you can say, I'm on the Lord's side and still be wearing your shoes. You can say, I'm on the Lord's side, but I'm still going to do it my way. I'll, I'll do, the, I'll do the, the smear, the religious smear, make it all look Christian. The exterior will look whitewashed. But remember what God says? There's dead men's bones. This is a sepulcher. Just whitewashed. See, God calls those things out. And he says it's hypocrisy. It is hypocrisy for you to say, I'm on the Lord's side. It is hypocrisy for you to say, I am a Christian and still be wearing your shoes. Meaning, wearing my shoes, I have not surrendered all. If God required it of Moses to bring forth one of the greatest deliverances in the history of the world that we see in the miracles... And if God called, required it of Joshua, not only Moses to get them out of bondage, but from Joshua to get them into the promises of God, into the promised land, 
And then Jesus has given us the example saying, you got to take your shoes off. you got to take your shoes off. And when you take your shoes off, when you surrender, the, a supernatural act takes place. Here's what happens when you truly surrender. When you truly surrender 100% to God, a, a cleansing, redeeming, purging, purifying, supernatural force of God in, in a miraculous way comes in and cleanses you from all unrighteousness, from all of your sin. Isaiah said it when he prophesied, though your sin be as scarlet, it'll be white as snow. When? When you surrender. When you take your shoes off, there is a work of heaven that will manifest on earth and it will cleanse you. It will remove the weight of condemnation off of your life. Every sin you've ever committed is cast into the sea of forgetfulness as far as the east is from the west. This is a gift of God. This is the promise of the kinsman redeemer. And I'm telling you, our faith, our faith suffers. It suffers. It does not last long. It does not have a marathon of breath. When he says little faith, that's what he's saying. That you've got a sprint of faith, like sprinting, but you, get, you lose your wind. You get winded really quickly. Oh, it didn't. my breakthrough didn't come as quick as I thought. I give up. I, I, my finances didn't break through as quick as I thought. I give up. Uh, my healing didn't manifest as quick as I thought. I give up. And we start talking doubt and, and negative. He says little faith means short-winded faith. You, don't, you can't run the race with it. You're running against an obstacle, and when you've got faith, you'll say, wait a minute, you're going to either move, or I'm going to come over you, or I'm coming under you, or I'm coming around you, but you're not stopping me. You're not holding me back. The promise of God is yes and amen, and I'm not backing down on the promise of God. See, we need to, we need to get some, some grit back in us. And the way we get grit is surrender and then have our sins and condemnation removed because our condemnation keeps us out of faith. We're like, we hit this obstacle. Well, I deserved it. I deserved this obstacle because uh, back here I did so and so. The devil's condemned you. You, lost, you get little faith because condemnation came. you gotta, you got to understand the power of surrender. It cleanses you. It nullifies. It erases. It doesn't cover. It removes. Some of us need to hear that. We need to hear that, but we also need to participate in it. How do we do that? We take our shoes off. We surrender all. Because you can't have the power that comes for, for, from surrender if you don't surrender. And there's so many that say, Jesus, Jesus, I believe. I remember this very wealthy businessman came to our church for a short season. He was a contract, with a contract government contract and headed up this big thing. And they moved somewhere else in the United States. But while he was here, he's very intellectual. And he sat down with me and he said, okay, okay, Pastor. Explain this salvation stuff. And I said, well, you know, have you heard of John 3, 16? Uh, yeah, but, but say it again. I said, you know, it says that, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He said, oh, well, that's simple then. That's simple. I believe. Okay, I'm not going to perish. That's good. Okay, uh, I'm, I got a meeting I got to go to. 
And I said, no, no, Steve, it's a little more than that. I said, come here. He said, no, you just said if I believe. I believe. Believe, you don't perish. Don't believe, you perish. He said, no brainer. I believe. Okay, see you later. And he didn't want to talk anymore. And I'm like, oh, man, I missed it. Because believe there is so much more than mental assent. Because Paul says, unless you're willing to fall before Him and take your shoes off and say, you're my Lord, Lord over all, I surrender to you, then you're not getting up to walk in the super that comes from the salvation, uh, uh, redemptive work of Jesus Christ. We must not only be in head knowledge and only in in our speech assenting to God. We have to yield our lives. And God took it from the top of our head all the way. He said, you got it in your head? Now let's see if we can get it in your feet. Take your shoes off. Take your shoes off. Let's see if we can walk this thing out to see if it's the real deal. Whose side are you on? Will you take your shoes off? I want you to bow your heads with me, please. Lord, as we bow our heads, whether you have taken your shoes off, physical shoes off this morning, that's, that would just be an outward sign of what God's doing in your heart. That's just if the Holy Spirit's prompted you. But I'm asking you spiritually, in every area of your life, this is between you and God, in every area between your li- in your life, will you take your shoes off? Will you wave the white surrender flag? and say, Jesus, I surrender to you. Will you allow Jesus to be the Lord of your life? Some of you need to make that life-changing decision right now. I've heard testimonies of thousands who have made this decision to surrender all to Jesus and tapped into the power to overcome the giants in the land who have tapped into the power where addicts were found, who found freedom and sadness was found. They found joy and darkness. They found light. There was, there's power. I'm telling you, there's power. There's Holy Ghost power. There's supernatural power. There is redemptive power available to you right now. Right now to manifest heaven on earth in and through your life if you're willing to take your shoes off. Will you make a life-changing decision today? If so, I want to help you. Someone helped me years ago, and I so thank them. And, and, and I want to I do that. I want to help you. I want to lead you in a prayer. And in this prayer, in essence, is where you're going to take your shoes off. You, you want to surrender all to Him today, just pray this prayer after me. If you want to make sure that every, every fiber of your body, your being, your life, your business, your ministry, your family, it's all surrendered to God, I want you to pray this out loud after me. Father God, I am a sinner and I owe a debt I cannot pay. And all of my good efforts are but like filthy rags. I figuratively take my shoes off right now. As a sign of my surrender. As a sign of me giving up my right. Giving up my will so that I can receive redemption and divine exchange. Jesus, I receive your redeeming work on Calvary. Come on with with some fortitude, just pray this. Jesus, I receive your redeeming work that you paid with your precious blood. 
I receive the exchange. My sin for your righteousness. My sickness for your divine healing and health. My sorrow for your joy. My addiction for your liberty. My bondage for your freedom. My loss for your gain. In the name of Jesus, I receive all that you have for me as I give you all of me. Now I want to ask you to do one more thing, and this is very, very important. If you've just prayed this prayer and surrendered all to God, I want to ask you to stand. And by standing, here's what you're saying. I confess Jesus as Lord over every area of my life. And there's a reason I want you to do this. Two reasons. First, Jesus said, if you'll confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. And he says in the Bible that if you believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth His Lordship, you shall be saved. So if your confession today is that Jesus Christ is 100% King of kings and Lord of lords of your life, and you're not ashamed of Him, I want you to stand right now. And I want you to stand and say, I've just surrendered all, and me standing is a sign of me taking my shoes off. And now I want you to rejoice right now, knowing that right now, right now, not tomorrow, not an hour later, not next week, listen to me, right now, Jesus said, if you will stand unashamed before me, before men, I will stand unashamed before my Father for you. So right now, Jesus is standing before the Father, and He's calling your name. And he's saying, Father, he has his shoes off. Father, she has her shoes off. Father, they're waving the white flag. Father, they've surrendered all. And Father's saying, release it. Release the super on their natural. I want you to receive it right now. Release the super on their natural. I want you to cleanse them. I want you to wash them. I want you to fill them. I want you to strengthen them. I want you to open doors for them. I want you to promote them. I want you to take them to the next level, they're unashamed of you and I'm unashamed of them make make it big and make it bold and make it loud for them hallelujah make it in Jesus name father in the name of Jesus we thank you we thank you that we have this ability today to come before you in total surrender to take our shoes off and to say God I choose your side I don't need you on my side I need to be on your side and I need to walk with my shoes off totally surrendered to you for where you are is holy holy no room for me to be puffed up no room for me to be exalted but down to earth trusting in you lord i'm trusting you with my health just tell him i'm trusting you with my health i'm trusting you with my wealth I'm trusting you, Lord God, with my gifts and talents. I'm trusting you with my future. I'm trusting you with my spouse. I'm trusting you with my kids. I'm trusting you with my parents. And Lord, did you hear me say my to all of those? They're really yours. Because I surrender all. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. 